Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. So here we are in John chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 6 and we'll get going from there. Here we go. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He's speaking of John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was the what they call the forerunner. He would go before Jesus, and he started baptizing people that they would believe in Jesus, the Messiah, when he came. They didn't set it up. It wasn't some grand scheme. It wasn't anything. He just was led by the Holy Spirit. He was a weird guy. We'll talk about him in the next couple of weeks. He was a weird guy. He ate locusts and honey and wore animal furs and just hung out in the desert. And so they were like, have you gone to see this John the Baptist guy? And people would go out there and they would preach. And then he would say things like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and all this stuff. He was basically setting up this Jesus. And so when John the apostle, who was one of the disciples, is talking here, he's talking about John the Baptist. Here's this guy named John. We'll get to that in the next few weeks. But he says, he was not the light, but he was setting the scene for this true light in Jesus that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, meaning the Jews. He came to the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So it was a very big thing in Jewish culture to come from the right bloodline. It was like if you came from Abraham's bloodline and weren't tainted, so to speak, a mud blood, for those that know what I'm talking about, it was very respectable to be of pure Jewish bloodline. This is where the Samaritans came from because the Samaritans were people who had married outside of their own Jewish race. And so they couldn't come worship. They couldn't do all this stuff. Bloodline and where you came from, who was your daddy, was a very important thing in the Bible. And so he says, everyone has the opportunity to become children of God. They have the right to become the children of God. You have the power to become children of God Because of Jesus, who is this light. And so when he says this, he came to that which was his own, but they didn't receive him. But yet, to all who did receive him, everybody gets the same opportunity. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one, the only son, who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's really complicated, isn't it? All right. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know it's powerful, effective. It is supernatural for our lives. We know that it cuts deep to places that we can't even decide what we're thinking, what we're feeling, all of those things we're trying to process, and you know who we are at our deepest parts. I pray that this word of God, that Jesus Christ himself, would become alive in us and speak to us and pour your love on our hearts, and that we become better, more like you, perfected in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John's setting all this up. He's still in his prologue. He's talking about all of these very deep things. And a lot of the things we can't even quite understand because he's using loaded languages. He's using references from the day. Like I could reference Michael Jackson and you would know what I was talking about. I could reference him in a number of different ways and you would probably understand. I could reference Princess Diana and you would know what I was talking about. I could reference Justin Bieber and you would know what I was talking about because you're of this certain culture. Now, their culture is wrapped up in this idea of who God was, and they've been waiting for a Messiah. A Messiah is the anointed one. It was the one that God would send to free and to heal and to to become the Lord on earth for the Jewish people. And so when they're waiting for the Messiah, God actually sends Jesus. And so he says, he came unto his own, but his own didn't accept him. They're waiting for a Messiah from God. God gives them the gift of Jesus, and they will not believe in Jesus. We're going to see the rest of the gospel. What's going to happen is the Pharisees, the high and mighty religious people who know all the rules, they know all of the history, they know what they should be looking for, miss Jesus right in front of their face. Can you imagine this? It happens all the time right now, right? People missing the point about what's actually valuable, what's actually happening. And so Jesus comes to his own. Jesus is God's answer for all of humanity, and they do not accept him. Have you ever had God give you a gift and you didn't accept it? That's, that's maybe a little deeper than what you want to get right now. Like, why are you my business? It's Sunday morning, right? But it's not that far off that God would give you an answer and you miss it, Right? So what we have to do is be very, very careful that we're not being judgmental towards people who have missed it when we ourselves miss it so many times. So Jesus comes to his own and his own do not accept him. We see this later on that Jesus is actually standing over Jerusalem and he's crying his eyes out. He's crying out to Jerusalem who is the center of all Jewish culture. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wanted you to come in and I could cover you with my wings like a hen covers her chicks, but you just wouldn't come. That he wants to save and restore. He wants to set free. He wants to be supernatural in people's lives. He wants to be there close to you so much so that he would come from heaven to earth to deliver the freedom that God has for you. But many of us just won't. We just won't. But it was also the fate of Jerusalem. They missed him. But to all who would turn to him, all who would look to him, all who would come to him and say, God, I know you've got something for me. Jesus, I know you're the son of God. I believe that you're the real thing. And we see time and time again, as we read through, we're going to see people coming full of faith. Jesus, can you heal me? Jesus, can you do something? Jesus, can you? Can you? And miracles, signs, and wonders happen for people who will believe Jesus is the son of God. And so he says, many will not receive him, but to those who would believe, he gave the power, the right to become 
sons and daughters of God. And that's us today, if we follow him. It's like the Bible says that even those who are far off, people that are just way out there, people thousands of years later can still interact with this power of God that's given to us in Jesus. And so when John writes the gospel, which I talked about last week, he says, I'm writing this gospel so that you will believe. And last week I talked a little about the darkness and light, that Jesus is the light in your darkness, but many of us just won't believe it. We'd rather live in our darkness than embrace the true light of Jesus Christ. We'd rather live in our darkness and listen to the answers of people who have blog posts and people who have self-help Instagrams and people who have all of these answers. Of all these, and some of those things are, are good and nice things, and I'm not, I'm not against that. But when we begin to substitute the true light of life to remain in our darkness and just kind of put the ointment on our skin that helps us feel better but doesn't actually transform our lives. We're not living as Jesus' followers. And so he says, I want to give you the right, the power, the authority to not just be my servant, to not just be a slave to me, to not just be somebody who does what I want you to do, very self-disciplined, very follow all the rules, but I want you to become my child. And that's a powerful thing because most of us are forgetting that we are children of God. Yeah, we're in the family, you know, we kind of wear like the, I'm the black sheep. I got the black sheep badge, you know. I'm not dad's favorite, but you know, I'm in the family. You know, if I needed something, I would go to God. Like if I, if I was in a tight spot, that's when I would go to God. But God doesn't want that. He wants you close. He wants you in his family. He wants you near him. He wants you to understand that you have the right, you have the power and authority through Jesus to be a close child of God. And what we're going to see in the gospel is that Jesus is the first of our family. He's the firstborn brother. And his purpose is to show us two things. First of all, what God is like. What God is like. Because if we don't know what God is like, we'll buy a lie of what somebody else tells us God is like. Right? And people have been telling you all your life, do this and do that. And well, you know, people say like, the, you know, God don't like ugly. Right? I know some ugly people that God absolutely adored. Right? We start buying into kind of these superstitions and things that we hear. They're kind of like old wives' tales that become relationship with God. It's like, what is God really like? Well, he's like what my auntie said. He's like what my grandma said. He's like what my dad told me. But the truth is, we have all of these images of what God is like. And so what he is actually begins to say here, and I'll show it to you a little later, and all over the Bible, is that Jesus reveals who God is. That if we want to know what God is like, we can look to Jesus. So he wants to show us what God is like. And then he wants to show us what we can be like in relationship to God. So Jesus comes, he's like, I want to show you the Father. In reality, in every day, in just little things. And then I want to show you what it could be like for you to be like me in relationship to God. That's a beautiful thing. That's something that we need to do every single day. And if we are going to be Christians, it's not about the radio station you listen to, the t-shirt you wear, the stickers you have on your car, who you voted for, which way you swing, whatever else. It's only about this. Am I following Jesus? And what did Jesus do? He was in deep love and connection to God and deep love and connection to people. That's it. 
That's it. And if we can do that, like Jesus, we'll be true Jesus followers. So what he says, John testified concerning himself. He's like, he cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So John's this powerful, he's like a tele-evangelist out in the middle of the wilderness. He's like, come on down and, and I'll, I'll dunk you. And it's like, he baptizes people and people are repenting for their sins. They're turning to God. And he's like, the person who's coming after me, he's like, I realize that you think I'm really cool and all this stuff is, is supernatural and special, but there's one that's coming after me who's better than me. And the only reason he's better than me is because he was before I was even born. He was the one who existed. He's the word made flesh. It's the word made flesh. He was before me. And so when Jesus comes down, we have to understand a couple different things. It's this incarnation idea. So we talk about the incarnation. It's part of some Christmas songs. They've probably seen it on a Catholic church somewhere. You know, Our Lady Incarnation of Decion and all that stuff. And you're like, wow, okay. What does all that theological term mean? Incarnation means that God, up in heaven, became flesh. Right? And so we're like, yeah, you know, Jesus, you know, was God. And then he became a baby. And I, I get that, but you don't get it. It's so deep. Theologians since the early days, Tertullian and all of these guys begin to speak about, well, it's like they're like, you know, staring at the stars going, well, if Jesus is God, that means. But if Jesus is man, that means. And they just go back and forth and back and forth. And so they're trying to figure out, a percentage of what Jesus is. Is he 85% God? Is he 50-50? Is he human on the outside, God on the inside? It's like all of this deep stuff they begin to figure out. And the Bible gives us insight into Jesus when he says the word became flesh. And some things about flesh is like we have flesh on the outside. That's our body. And we also have soul. We find out that Jesus had feelings. He had he had mind, will, emotions. He had ambition that he would turn his face towards decisions that he made and he would drive towards them. That he was, his friend Lazarus dies and is buried. And the funny thing is, is he knew about it days before and he could have came and healed Lazarus so that he wouldn't die. His sisters are like, send word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And he just hangs out where he is. And the disciples are like, let's go. And he's like, no, we're just gonna chill here. Like, don't you know your friend is dying? He doesn't go. When he gets there, Mary and Martha are both a little bit torqued off at Jesus. Right? Because now their brother is dead. And one of his sisters says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. That's the kind of feelings. And so Jesus, I, I can imagine, like, like, they don't get me. They don't understand what the deal is. But he goes before the tomb, and he just stands there and starts weeping bawling his eyes out for his dead friend. And I don't know what that means exactly. I can't tell you everything that Jesus was feeling, but I do know this, Jesus feels. Jesus has emotions. He would cry and, and to the point where like, God's like, hey, you're gonna go die on a cross. And we all know that Jesus prayed in the garden and he was like, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. I don't think it was so pretty. Matter of fact, the Bible says that blood is pouring down off of his brow because he's sweating and he's just in agony. And he's like, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way that we can get this done? God is like, there's no other way. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. 
I want to follow your will. All of that screams to me that Jesus has a soul, a human soul that goes through these emotions and this, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I should, what should I do? And so the Bible says that God and Jesus were so connected that Jesus would actually do nothing except for what God told them to do. So that means that we as humans can be people who follow after God in a way that we can make decisions based on what God says and not what our emotions say. And so we got people who say like, you know, well, just the way I feel. This is just, you know, I, I feel the way I feel and I, I got to do this and I don't know, just, I, I get worked up and then I just can't control it. And I, you know, I get angry and all of these things like your emotions can be in line with what God says, right? And we have a whole lot of people wanting to take the Bible and go, well, this is the way I feel and so I don't have to follow the Bible I don't have to follow what God has told me to do. I don't have to forgive. After all, I'm very bitter. And I have a right to be bitter. My therapist told me that it's okay to be angry. But I'm telling you, if they speak against what the Bible is saying, I wouldn't follow them to save my life. Because it's not going to save your life. So Jesus' incarnation becomes man. He's got flesh, right? The Bible says that he grew in stature. In other words, that he started off as a baby. Now think about this. We find out that Jesus spoke the worlds into existence. Everything was created by his words. And, you know, so he's like, let there be light. Let there be, and he starts speaking these things out, and all of science is wrapped up in this creation. So these these processes and how plants bloom and bud, and how spring and how the planets tilt and we get they get warmth and why am I in Florida for 30 minutes and I'm already burnt on my face like what the crap is going on it's like wow the sun is hotter here all of that they're like oh yeah it's way hotter here you're closer to the equator how is that Jesus spoke it thanks Jesus right all these happening so things like how do your digestive system work you gotta eat you gotta poop right You got to eat, you got to poop. Jesus becomes a what? A baby. He invented the digestive system, but yet Mary's got to change his diaper. Think about that. He invented the auditory system, how to speak, how to talk, right? He invented all of that. That comes from Jesus in his infinite wisdom. But yet he had to learn how to talk. Jesus had to go through puberty. Jesus had to figure out how to go to school. This is how human he was. The Bible says that he was 12 years old and he was hanging out in a synagogue teaching and talking about God. This is where he was. He was growing in, in stature. And the Bible says that he grew with favor, grew in favor with both God and man. That means that he had to learn how to be social with other people and he had to learn how to love God in greater ways. Right? What we find later on in his ministry is that he begins to spend lots of time with God. He's hanging out with his 12 best friends, right? They're going around, they're doing awesome stuff. And he'd be like, you guys go over there. I need some time with God in prayer. The Bible says that he would get up early and he would find a place to pray. What is the secret to Jesus' life? Not so much that he was God, even though he was. He was flesh. He was soul. He was perfect spirit on the inside because he had salvation. He's connected to God. But he was making all of those things obedient to who God was to the point where he could say, I don't do anything except for what God says to do. 
This is the incarnation. Incarnation is a big idea. People go, well, maybe it's 50-50. God on the inside and, and human on the skin. But the Bible doesn't lean us towards that. The Bible leads us towards the fact that he was human with some supernatural traits on the inside of his spirit. But the Bible also tells us in Acts that the reason he could do signs, wonders, miracles, all of that stuff was because the Holy Spirit was on the inside of his life. And so we go back to the baptism where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist who says, there's a guy coming and he's... He's been here before me. He's been around forever. And Jesus comes out and he's like, I need you to baptize me, John. And John goes, no, I'm supposed to be baptized by you. You're the son of God. And he goes, no, I have to be baptized for you because I need to follow. I need to set an example. I need to live this life so that I can lead other people to it. So he, he becomes baptized and he comes up out of the water and God opens the heavens and we say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what happens? A dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Well, we say it's form of a dove, like a dove. We're not really sure exactly. But the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus. And the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus, the Holy Spirit never left. What does that mean? It means that every other prophet, every other good teacher, whatever, the Holy Spirit would come on and they would leave. Moses would go and he would pray on Mount Sinai. His face would glow. He'd have these crazy God experiences. And he'd come down and it would wear off. But Jesus had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit in his life, and it transformed him in such a special way. You know who else has the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of them? You and me. Isn't it funny that our big brother Jesus the one who came to show us what God is like and who we could be had the Holy Spirit first and it never left. And now the Holy Spirit you and I possess is the same Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the dead. In other words, that Jesus was dead on a slab of concrete. I've been there in Israel. He's not there anymore in case you're wondering. Slab of concrete. Holy Spirit's like, get up. Psst. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. And he gets up. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's good news for those who he has given the right to become the children of God. The power of God in your life. In Excelsior Springs? Yeah. When my kids are acting up? Yep. When my husband won't do what I told him to? Yep. When work isn't going so good? Yeah. So, he says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace. Out of this relationship, What I just told you, Jesus' relationship with God, that he's flesh, he's incarnate, he is becoming more and more, he's growing in favor with God and man, and and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's working towards perfection where he will die and rise again, just like you and me when we rise and, and meet Jesus in the air, that glorification process. But right now we're in sanctification. That's Jesus. He's he's going through a, a, a process. He says, In my fullness, you get to live. You get to experience God in a special way because 
of grace. What is grace? Now, at a very simple term, we say, well, it's unmerited favor. And you're like, I still don't know what you mean. (laughs) Right? It's grace. I think a better description is this, that it's all of God's power in your life. Because of who you are, not of what you've done. So it's God's grace on your life. And so because of Jesus' fullness, we receive grace. Not consumed. Even those times you know you should have been struck down by lightning. You know what I'm talking about? I had a friend who wouldn't come to church here in high school. He said, I used to live in the church for like a year and a half. That's very awkward for your high school social status too. But you also get really good at doing other things like playing drums and piano. And so it's a trade-off, which pays off later in life. But I had a friend who was like, hey, we're going to go into a movie. I'll stop by and pick you up, but I'm not coming in. <laughs> like, okay, why not? He's like, I don't want to be struck down by lightning, okay? Now, he knew that stuff in his life had earned him a good strike with lightning. You know, I may not know, or maybe I might know, some stuff in your life that you should have been struck down by lightning. Grace is God saying, I protect you, I love you, I'm with you. I'm giving you space to learn and to grow, to make some mistakes and to turn back towards me. That's grace, okay? And so in the Old Testament, the grace was, I'm a Jew and I followed the law, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, and all these other things, like I don't eat shellfish, I, have, I grow the hair on my temples, I, I write stuff and, and bind it on my arm and put it on my forehead, and I do all of these things. I make sure that if people are, are sick, they're, they're outside of the camp. I don't eat meat with blood in it. I all of these things that, that I do not do to show that I am in relationship with this grace. That's the law. The new grace is that Jesus died to do all of that. It's like, I'll take care of that. And then when you walk in, he's like, I got him. He's with me. God goes, well, I, you know, there's some laws and requirements. And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I did them. I covered them, right? You know the relationship we have, God? Yeah, they're with me. That's what grace in Jesus is. So when he says, what happens is, out of Jesus' fullness, he has given us grace in place of grace. We have this Old Testament law. We have all these rules and regulations. That's how God is going to give you grace. His power, his nature. And we find out in the Old Testament, they would go and fight battles with pitchers and win. How did that happen? They had God's grace on their life. They would go and they would blow some trumpets. And the walls would come down. And it's like, how does that happen? They have God's grace. They have God's favor because they were with him in the law. And now Jesus is saying, I am giving you grace in place of that old system. I'm giving you the new system. This is the upgrade. It's my nature. It's who I am. I'm giving you the fullness. And so this book, John, is going to show you who Jesus was so you can understand the relationship that you have because of him. It's his grace in place of the old system. So he says, for the law was given through Moses. That's just what I was talking about. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I can suddenly see what's the difference. It's Jesus. Darkness to light. He is the light of all mankind. It's grace 
grace, grace. And it's also truth. Truth is interesting because it's become such a watered down thing. It's just this shifting of however, and truth can shift all of the time now. We even have to say things like, well, I'm just going to tell you my truth. Right? And the problem with my truth, with Brandon's truth, Brandon's truth changes an awful lot. You know what I mean? What's the truth? The truth is not so much about how I feel or the culture I'm in or where I grew up. The truth is the truth. Right? You can jump off a bridge and say there's no gravity, but it's not the truth. Right? You can go to the edge of the world and say the planet is flat. It is not. Right? Truth is not subjective. It is very concrete. The problem is that many people are trying to tell you truths that are not from God. Mm. When Jesus comes, he gives you grace and truth. He gives you the reality of who God is. If I don't have a God who's holy, why am I serving him? If I don't have a God who's all-powerful, why am I following after him? If I don't have a God who deeply cares for me, then why do I trust him? And people will tell you all sorts of things and give you all. I remember somebody told my daughter one time when she was just like three or four years old. She was a teacher at a Christian school. And she said, well, you know, when you lie, the black stuff in your heart takes over. I wanted to run in there and like flip tables and be like Jesus. And I was like, bull! I told her that's not true. It's not true. Okay? You don't have some form of like mutant ooze growing on your heart because you made a mistake or you made a choice. And I began to teach her about grace and who God was and his relationship to you and what he wants. And we are missing out on true relationship with God. As a matter of fact, many things in our life are pushing us away from God, not because he's pushing away from us, but because we are pushing away because we don't have the truth. We have emotions that have led us astray. We have lies from other people, lies from the enemy, lies from religion, who has set up systems for you to get to God when God has torn down every system so he could get to you. Jesus comes and he gives you grace and truth. Right? And there's some things in my life that just aren't lined up with Jesus and his truth. And this to sit me down and go, Brandon, that's not the truth. And I said, well, you know, this is how I feel. This is, what I, this is how I want to be. And this is, you know, it seems like the right thing. He goes, no, that's not true. Let me tell you the real truth. And then he gives me grace, which is his power to make it happen. Because you can live beyond that. You can live stronger than that. You can live at a higher level than that. And I say, how can I? I don't feel like I can. I don't feel like I'm worthy. I don't feel like I have the power. And he says, because I paved the way to show you who God was and to show you what your relationship with him could be like. I said, that seems stupid and impossible. He says, that's why it's called the gospel. It's the too good to be true news. So this is what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom 
also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That Jesus is the exact representation of who? God. And people want to divide and go, well, God of the Old Testament is old and angry and is all these things. And, and we read and, and then we have this new God and he's Jesus. And they, they're at war with each other. It's like, no, they're not. They're actually so close that Jesus is actually revealing to you who God is in a greater way. He's actually showing you what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus and look at Jesus a lot. That's who God is like. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I urge you to memorize that. I urge you to know it with everything in your soul that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. The problem is that he has become flesh. And so we go, oh, well, that means that God looks like an old man in flesh. You get this old beard, and we call him Father Time or something, or crazy, you know, whatever. It's not what he is. He actually took off who God was to become flesh. And everything else that he is in his soul and his spirit, and everything else he is in his emotions, is reflecting the glory of God. Why? Because they were that close. This is what Philippians says. Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is Jesus' mindset. Who being in very nature God, he is God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is who Jesus became, to set up a relationship with you, to show you what it could be like for your life today and tomorrow, the next day, all eternity, what it means to be connected to God. Next one is 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That he had it all, and valued you so much, in a relationship with you, and knew what a relationship with God would mean for you, your children, your future, for all humanity. He knew what it would mean, and so for that, he was willing to become nothing. He had a great fullness, but became nothing. Human flesh on the earth so that you too could experience a richness like he has in heaven. So when he says, pray this way, our father in heaven, he's leading you to a new type of prayer. In the Old Testament, they didn't even say the name of God. They would just breathe. They didn't write the name of God. Jews today don't even write God. They write G slash D because they will not write or mention the name of God because he's so perfect, so holy, so out there. And the first thing 
Jesus says, he's like, I want you to pray this way, our Father. Such a pivotal moment that we can call him Father, that we can crawl up in his lap and say, holy are you. You're perfect and separated and different than anything else on earth. Holy is your name. And then we can say things like, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, just like it is in heaven. That's a prayer that happens because Jesus became poor so that you could become rich in heaven. That's the relationship that Jesus has come to show us. First of all, who God is, the exact representation of his being, and that you too could live that kind of life. Hebrews chapter four explains it a little bit like this. He's explaining our relationship to God and he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that's Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to our faith, our belief in who Jesus is in this relationship. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. In the Old Testament, you had to have someone make sacrifice for your sin. When you were having a hard time or you wanted to pray or you wanted to know what God said, you'd be like, hey, priest, and he would go into the Holy of Holies where God was, and he would come out, and he would say, God says this. Then it would be a priest relationship. The Catholic Church does it a little bit like that, but it's, it's not quite the same as the Jewish thing. You had to have somebody who was a go-between, a mediator, who would go in and speak to God for you. We don't have that anymore. Jesus is our high priest. He's the person who has given us access to God, connection with God, so that we could be just like Jesus' relationship with God. Praying day and night, seeing signs, wonders, and miracles. Living our lives in a greater fullness. And so he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne with, of grace, with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the God we serve because of Jesus. And so when Jesus is up on the throne and he's now the priest and we pray to God, God, I just, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Jesus goes, I know what it's like. I've been there. Jesus, I just had this temptation. I can't kick this habit. It's just, it's eating me alive. And Jesus goes, yeah, I've been there. God, I'm having a hard time with my, my kids and, and everything that's happening. It just seems like it's all out of control and I don't know what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to walk and, and, and which way am I supposed to go? And Jesus is like, yeah, I've been there. And so when Jesus begins to pray and speak to God on your behalf, the Bible says that he's interceding for you. He's making prayers for all of the saints all the time. He's praying from a place of sheer reality. And not only does Jesus know how you felt because he was human, know what you're going through, know what it's like to be a human being, he also is giving you grace. And he's also walking in the truth of who you are. And so you don't need to tout, this is my truth, this is my truth. Jesus is going, yeah, I know the truth. I know what they did to you. 
I know what you've been through. I knew your emotions in those moments. I know the things that you can't tell anybody else. I know that you're so heartbroken. I, he knows that because he knows the truth about you. And he also knows the truth of Jesus being God for you. Coming down to flesh for you. And being glorified for you. And what that means for your life. That you can find grace and favor in your time of need. That's what Jesus came for. The exact representation of God. He's saying, I'm compassionate. I love you. And I'm near you. Jesus thought this relationship was so special that he would put everything on it. Imagine that. Having all things, take everything and get rid of it. Take it off. Not live in it. So you become a baby. Learning how to talk. Learning how to be potty trained. Learning how to do a job and go to work every single day. Learning how to work for his dad. Hallelujah. Jesus did all that. Why would you, why would you do that, Jesus? Because I wanted to give you an example of who God was and who you could be in God. So this is the last verse. He says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. Jesus is the only person who's actually seen God. Who he, he himself is God and is in closest relationship. Closest relationship with God. And he has made him known. We're going to talk a lot about closeness. Jesus is going to talk about abiding in him and living in him and being near him. And it's like, it seems so weird. It seems like I need to be disciplined. Like I need to be, if I'm close to the gym, then I'll be, you know, ripped up. You know, I go, that guy looks like he lives at the gym. Yeah, I live at the gym. You know? Moms that make everything from scratch. Like that woman lives in the kitchen. She knows what she's doing in the kitchen. She probably just bakes, wakes up in the morning and bakes. And you're like, I wish I could bake just a cookie and not burn them. It's where you live is what you become like. That guy looks like he, you know, just never takes the guitar and puts it down. He just lives the guitar in his hand. That's what you become like. Jesus keeps telling us, he's like, stay close and be near me and abide in me. And he's going to say that over and over. He's going to, he's, but more than that, he's going to demonstrate it, what it means to live in God, to be close to God, to find a place to pray, to, to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, to do signs, wonder, miracles out of this fullness. But he had to become a human. And so when, you, when you're looking at this, I want you to don't think about Jesus as like this, you know, up on a high pedestal. What he's trying to show you is that I had, I had to go through middle school you know, I remember what it was like to be eight years old. I had a relationship with my father and my mother. I think that probably Jesus watched his dad die because we don't see Joseph when Jesus died. We only see Mary's, which means that more than likely he passed away at some point. He's grieving and mourning parts of his life. He's had friends die. He's had people who slander him, who talk bad about his name, 
who their one mission is to just tear him down. We think Facebook is bad. Jesus had to live through that. Jesus knows what it's like to be you, to struggle, to lay awake at night, to have stress that you cannot even understand. I wonder if Jesus had anxiety that made his heart race. I don't know exactly, but I do know this. He's had a friend betray him. He's had friends that let him down. He's had every human possibility happen to him. But yet, he wants to be connected to the Father for you. So, would you take a new stance, a new grip, a new decision to live in this grace that leads you closer to the Father. To dig into a relationship that is is near and powerful. It's not just a religion. It's not just a, a Christianese thing. It's like Christian is not even a good word. It's actually a slur towards people who are Jesus followers. They couldn't like they couldn't tear him down anymore, so they came up with a name. We call it Christian. And now we go to bookstores. Slurs on the door. Going to the Christian bookstore. You listen to Christian music. It doesn't matter. What matters is do I follow Jesus? Are his words the truth of my life? Is his grace the power that I use every single day to be a better father, to be a better mother, to be a, a better son, a better worker, a better everything that I have in my life? Am I living in grace and truth? I'm following after Jesus. And that's who we have to be. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Here today, say, Brandon, I've had all these questions. I don't know how to really explain them. It's just like my whole world is like in a hurricane. It's like in my heart, in my mind, it's swirling around and Stuff keeps just hitting me in the face. I pull it off my eyes so I can see to keep going. It's like a storm in my soul. I'm here to let you know that Jesus knows what you're going through. I can tell you I know what you're going through, and I, I, I may or may not. I've been through my own stuff. But I will tell you this. The only way I found my way out is by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And the only way that you'll find your way through this life and into the next one is by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And people have told you all sorts of stories. they told you all sorts of things and you're trying to figure it out. And you're trying to patch together this picture of God with all of these pieces and it looks just like a sloppy mess. And nothing is clear and I can't see God in these pieces. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Look to Jesus. He will show you the exact representation of who I am. And he's the one who laid down his life for you, who threw it all away to become poor so you could be rich in God. 
you're here to say, Brandon, pray for me. I want that kind of relationship. I need clarity. I need, I need some, some foresight. I need the truth of God. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, we pray for my friends in this room. As we turn our hearts to you, we, we take new grips. We dig deeper into who you are and what you have for our life. We know that there's nothing that's impossible for you. And we feel like we're so defeated by impossible situations. But it is your fullness, your power, your grace penetrating our lives. We come to you boldly to the throne of heaven, finding grace in our time of need because of who you are, what you've done, who you want us to become. God, give us foresight to take the next step. Give us light in our darkness. And more than all of that, show us who you are each step of the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a big praise today.